In a cave not far from here, a man sits and pounds away at some buzzword-infused invention. It's not like anyone will care, for he is the last human left alive. He just doesn't know it yet. Tired of the silence, he turns on some music and considers a time when things were very different. Once upon a time, this place was like a rainforest, but then the earthquakes came and felled all the trees. Caves opened in terrain that did not have them. Within days, the debris was cleared by unknown processes. Then winter set in. After the fourth track, he realizes that none of this will do, for he is hungry. He rises, his bones cracking like some machine being turned on after years of neglect. After making his way to the cave entrance, he takes the last three strips of jerky from the snow. He skewers them and places them over the hot coals of a dying fire. As they cook, he thinks back on his favorite episode, the last one before all this happened. It went like... It's the end of the world! This is Control Structure Episode 5 for December 20th, 2012, Not a Lawn Ornament, with guest Ryan Rampersad and host Andrew Bailey. And now, drowning your griefs and sorrows in Greece. Big week? Oh, a huge week. I hear it's the end of the world. Yes, uh, yes, uh, thank you for joining me on the penultimate day. Yes. So, another time I can get to use that word. It happens very infrequently. Yes, uh, you know, of course, by the time you think to use it, the time has already passed, right. so. Yes, of course. Yeah, so, uh, let's see. Well, aside from that, anything happened in the past week? Um, no, like, not too much. Well, how was your finals? Oh, finals were final. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. I was very busy. Glad, glad to have it over. Yes. So. And now I'm now I'm off. Happy. I can sleep for once. So yeah, let's see. I my weekend was uh, rather busy. I usually spend my weekends, you know, just sitting around. But uh, on Saturday, I was uh, out driving around with someone else trying to stuff flyers into paper boxes. Oh. So we're out in this neighborhood, 
and uh, like sort of like in a township somewhere. It's not exactly in the city, uh, like the usual kind of neighborhoods that surround Pittsburgh for miles and miles. So we're driving around, and uh, I'm not sure if people in Minnesota do this, but like people have like fake deer in their lawn. No, I don't know if I've seen that frequently here. Okay, well, sometimes around here, people have fake deer in their lawn, you know, never minding that there's actually real deer, you know, walking around. But uh, on that note, though, I was looking at them, and, you know, it's like, oh, that looks pretty real. And then one of them turns their head, (laughs) and I say out loud, that's not a lawn ornament! (laughs) That's great. So uh, the driver I was with, uh, he was sort of on edge because uh, he had recently hit a deer himself. Oh. Uh, and uh, thankfully it only damaged like the uh, front grill part. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, even then it'd probably be, you know, thousands of dollars to fix that or replace that or whatever. So and then on Sunday I uh, went Don Tan. Uh, with uh, my church group and uh, let's see we went down to a ice rink uh, downtown uh, like Market Square and uh, so we're in front of the uh, Pittsburgh Plate Glass the PPG Place downtown you know this you know marvelous uh, you know tower that's you know pretty much all glass facing out sounds good and they uh, had like a skating rink set up in the courtyard so uh, like I get out of the van and I'm hungry and I smell grease. That is not a good combination. No, of course not. But you know, everyone was like, "Oh, let's go ice skating first. So was it just like that? No, I was no. Uh, dramatizing. Okay. But uh, yeah, so like all the ladies wanted to uh, go ice skating, so I'm like, well, I've never done this before. You know, I. You know, I've been sort of forced to go to uh, roller skating parties before, but, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like the same idea. Like, you sort of stand still, but you're flying around at, like, you know, 50 miles an hour. Right. On ice. And with, like, absolutely no traction underneath of you. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm like, okay, let's, you know, have an open mind. And, you know, I, you know, paid the rental, got the skates, and went on there. And I quickly found out that uh, this isn't for me. Yeah. You know, I quickly decided that I did not spend 10 bucks to fall down all night. And, uh, you know, I did launch out from the uh, the edge of the rink a few times, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I sort of got this. Flump! Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I spent about 10 minutes in there, and, you know, about... Two of those was, you know, spent on the rail looking at, you know, everyone else going around, and I just didn't see anyone that I recognized. So I'm like, oh, they probably got out. Excuse me. They probably all got out, and they're probably laughing at me right now. But uh, so then I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this, and, uh, you know, got out, and I proceeded to relax. And uh, later I drowned my griefs and my sorrows in Greece. So that's a that's always the best way to do it. Yes. So, yeah. You know, we I've never actually gone ice skating, in, and you mentioned that it's strange that I wouldn't have since I live here in the cold state of Minnesota where there are lakes everywhere. But honestly, it's really hard to have ice rinks here in Minnesota because 
on most lakes, they're fishing lakes, so most skates, most uh, rinks don't get set up on lakes, and obviously they're not smooth enough on lakes usually, because the snow will accumulate and somebody has to wipe them off. So then you have, like, neighborhood or, like, city rinks, and the ones outside have to have 10 days of below 20 degree temperatures. And while we do live here in Minnesota, uh, apparently that's not easy to come by. So really we only can have rinks in unusual December's in January and February. So there's a, probably two to three months where we can actually do ice skating. But I, I've never gone either as a part of school or just with friends or anything. Yeah, it's interesting there. So, yeah, during during the time I got off, uh, I think it was like maybe half an hour later or so, like everyone else actually had to get off because the Zamboni came out and like resurfaced it. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I asked, so what's the temperature right now? And it pulls out, you know, someone else pulls out their phone and it's like it's 50 degrees. How does that work? Uh, I guess there's like some sort of cooling refrigerants oh, okay. underneath or something. Okay, yeah. So is it was an outside rink then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and then uh, everyone else decided it's like okay, well they're all gonna go back on, and then uh, a few of us went over and saw lots of gingerbread houses. Hmm. So. Uh, anyway, and oh yeah, like the the world's supposed to end in a little bit, but yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, uh, it's 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 not really a good lifestyle, uh, but it's good for laughs. Yeah, pretty much. So and that's uh, what I'm going for here. Yes. Speaking of the apocalypse, uh, a company called Offworld Backup is hyping the apocalypse, uh, saying that they claiming that they will uh, send your data off-world. Uh, but then you go and sign up, and it says, you know, I uh, also see. Yeah, I acknowledge that my files will not actually be backed up off-world. But uh, it's sort of sweet how they, uh, you know, have these plans down on paper and, like, all these aliens and asteroids and stuff falling down. Well, I love their fake names for their data centers. It's hilarious. Yeah. Because you have the Aldrin Lunar Data Center, you have the Kepler Data Center Alpha. Uh, more updates coming in one second. What else do we have? Uh, Interplanetary Communicator 23, Sagan... Cosmological Data Center Repository. That's it's really funny to see them all. Mm-hmm. It's a good promotion, and I like that we can save your data, but we can't save you. Yeah. So, and uh, I also neglected to mention last time, and uh, I guess I'll also mention it right now that today is International Backup Awareness Day. Back up your stuff every day. If you want to know why, 
that is a question that is too painful to answer. And uh, speaking of uh, cloud backup services, uh, you know uh, the Guido? You know, I had never actually known who had made Python, but I do now. Yeah, so that guy who made Python, uh, he was, he's been working at Google for the past several years. And uh, uh, he's gone off to Dropbox. And that's really interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, well, actually, he hasn't gone there yet. He's, I think he's going to be starting at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. So. So, I mean, well, for one, I've known that Dropbox has been coded in Python for a long time, and that's one of the reasons I think it has poor performance. But it's interesting that the creator of Python is going to work there. And I wonder what he uh, thinks about the product and what he thinks will happen by working there. It's kind of interesting. Who knows? Well, uh, how about if we talk about something that's coming to an end, specifically two things. You know, before I mention that, I smell something also coming to an end, probably my house, because I smell something burning. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not involved. Well, anyway, uh, speaking of burning and crashing in flames, how about Flash? Well, uh, Adobe is killing off Flash, as we all know, uh, and they've been doing that for a while now. But Microsoft is also killing off their Silverlight, and they're doing that by taking the Silverlight.net resource site down. And, of course, you might know if Silverlight is powering such things like Hulu and some occasions, but more specifically, Netflix. So without, without Silverlight support, you don't really get to see your movies on Windows computers. So that could be a kind of an important thing in the future. Um, or else they'll just have to take the old-fashioned route and write an app that you have to download and install. I mean, all the cool kids are doing it now. I don't know. I, I wonder if people would be okay with having to install programs to run Netflix. I don't. There's a lot of people, I think, that wouldn't know what exactly to do with that. Well, I mean, that's what everyone does that, uh, you know, with the iTunes store and the Android store and the Windows yeah, store. but a lot of people haven't been conditioned to do that for Netflix already. If it had started like that, it would have been fine, but I don't think now suddenly doing it would be okay. So, or uh, they can do something else entirely. They can use HTML5. Oh, I'd love to see this happen. Which the specification for HTML5 is finally complete after who knows how many years. So this is an update, of course, to HTML 4.01, released sometime after, like, 2000, 2001 or so. Um, And uh, also looking forward, the W3C has also released the first draft of HTML 5.1. So do we know what's in the draft? I haven't really taken a look at it, and I haven't... uh... Because it's kind of long and verbose, and I don't really want to read it either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, it's happening, and, again, it is a first draft, so uh, thing everything will probably change by the time... Oh, yes. So. Well, speaking of changing things, now, this is an interesting one. Firefox is getting H.264 support in the Firefox 20 build on Windows. That'll be coming out soon, I think, because it's nightly, so it's not even in beta yet. Um, so it's apparently going through Windows Media Foundation, which is also an interesting thing, too. Yeah, so after Mozilla, you know, totally ranting on how they're not going to be doing H.264. Yeah. Um, they sort what, of... What, what codec were they using? It was some OGG thing? Uh, it was a Theora. Okay, yeah. And then, uh, Go- and then Google's like, hey, we got this WebM thing. Uh-huh, yeah, sure they do. 
So, so what do you, what do you think that made them push for what what pushed them to do this H.264 support? Uh, well, they've uh, already have it on uh, mobile devices. Makes sense. So, and the, from what I understand, there is they're doing kind of like the same thing they will be doing on Windows. Is they're actually going to be using the uh, services installed with the operating system. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to be distributing the codec. They're just going to be you know using, using. it there. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm glad they're doing that. And I think I've known that uh, you know Windows has had something similar. I think it going back all the way to Vista, actually. Yeah, I think I think um, Presentation Foundation came out with Vista. Yeah. Yeah. So the abused uh, version of Windows. Of course. So, uh, let's see. Looking forward, uh, the Qt5 uh, UI toolkit, uh, the Qt5 framework has been released, and it has some sweet features that you really wouldn't expect for a UI toolkit. So it has uh, things like, uh, like it actually has a uh, instance of WebKit inside of it. It can do you know OpenGL, WebGL, and all sorts of cool stuff. And like there's like even like particle systems in there too. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I see. I don't see too many apps built in Qt on Windows, but on Linux it's running rampant. Well, um, you know VLC, right? Yeah, I do. That's like Qt. I said. I know. Like I said, too many apps. I hate VLCs. UI, it, it's a travesty. Um, yeah, their volume slider never really worked right, but no, no, it didn't. And just, just in general, their their app doesn't have a visual presentation that works well. Yeah, and their uh, settings dialogues are atrocious. Oh man! But speaking of VLC, though, um, one of the things VLC is actually wanting to work on is a new UI for Windows 8 computers. So they want to have a Metro app or whatever it's called. Modern um, UI app. Yeah, sure it is. Is it maybe? And so they want they want to make new UI in that style. So that that'll be interesting to see if they can pull that off in any reasonable way. So, yep. Speaking of pulling things off, nobody knows what happened to the stunt that the ITU tried to pull. So the ITU is the what is it again? International Telecommunications um, Union. Yes. So nobody knows what really happened it's over but the results are relatively unknown yeah so and uh so of course you know america and a whole bunch of other countries oppose this uh except you know china russia lots of arab countries so you mean Uh, all of the oppressor states pretty much uh, they were all for this uh including lots of third world nations uh but the thing is is that this these resolutions there's no consequences for going against them so i mean it's not like uh you know there's any consequences for ignoring this crap well any country that wants to follow it they can but they just won't have everybody else following it too so i mean that's pretty much how all of the un resolutions are in general like you can choose what you do and what you want at any time yeah, and uh, I guess if this would would have actually happened, like I guess Google could like really grief these countries by like stationing their data centers in like Botswana or something. Right, and, and I mean, if Google really wanted to, they have enough money to make their own country somewhere really quick and to just do whatever they want. Yeah, here uh, Zimbabwe is uh, kind of cheap. Yeah. Yes. You, you could probably, you know, fund an army with only a couple billion dollars and go in there. Right. 
and, and, and I'm pretty sure I heard recently, I'm not sure what CEO, but some CEO bought an island off the coast of somewhere. So if you can buy an island, it's probably not that much more money to make it a country. Yeah, I heard that uh, Larry Ellison bought... Yeah, uh, that's who it was. One of the islands of Hawaii. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, if you can buy an island, you can do it. Like, I think it's uh, one of the smaller ones in back, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's still sizable. Yeah. But, I don't uh, know. So anyway, if the worst comes to worst and your government shuts off the internet, uh, there's some advice on how you can get around this. And it uh, basically uh, goes into, you know, like ham radio, CB radio, and like hooking modems up to them, and like other, like a non-virtual bulletin board. Yeah, see, I these are reasonable things to do, but man, that's going to suck. Yeah. So. I like one of the suggestions, uh, enable Twitter by SMS, because, you know, that's totally going to be useful. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, these are good good suggestions. Um, I, there's one with a Nintendo DS so that you can use um, Wi-Fi. I mean, you probably have one of those laying around somewhere. A DS? Uh, no. Uh, well, a lot of kids do. Um, yeah. I don't know. You can do ad hoc networking. You can make... Um, not like an internet, but what is it? What meshnet? Mesh ad network? hoc. Yeah, and you could make a large scale ad hoc network making a mesh network. That would be kind of cool too. I mean, there there are ways around it, I think, but it wouldn't be fun in any way. Yes. So, and if that does happen, what will you do? Literally nothing. I think I would take take my book out and read it. Hmm. Oh wait, it's on my Kindle. Darn. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Um, but if that were to happen, you might want to encrypt a lot of things. So yes, that might be a good idea. And you know what kind of encryption I would like? I want to encrypt everything I have in four thousand and ninety-six bits. Do you think that's a good idea? Uh, well, it depends on how much uh, processor power you have. I have an i7 3770K. Is that good enough? Uh, well. I also hear that electricity might be a little short supply in an apocalypse as well. So well, you, you might have some problem with that. That's not good then. What do you suggest? Uh, well, uh, if you've ever wondered, uh, you know, why that, you know, say AES only has about 256 bits or so, uh, someone asked on uh, the Security Stack Exchange, uh, you know, what's this all about, and. Uh, so it gets into, you know, kind of technical detail about, you know, uh, AES and also RSA, like RSA keys. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they can be huge. Like I, uh, in trying to, in, you know, put an SSL certificate on my web server, I have actually generated a 4,096-bit RSA key. How long did that take? Uh, it took maybe 10 seconds or so. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. But I hear the decryption is what takes a long time. Uh, so, well, not really the decryption of that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and uh, why AES keys aren't that big as well. But uh, as it turns out, uh, someone points out here that uh, you know, with you know each bit you know added onto a key, the uh, if you want to brute force all of that, it'll take twice as long. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you, like, go into, like, physics and stuff, like, there's a certain minimal amount of energy you need to spend to change a bit somewhere. 
No, I had no idea this this was actually calculated and existed, but it's a really great explanation. Yeah, and it pretty much comes down to until we have computers that are built with something other than matter and occupy something other than space, uh, 256-bit AES keys will be fine. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't try to encrypt things if I don't have to, but for the most part, I think I use 128 whenever I do. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, because AES is secure in itself, and once you have your IRSA key that's encrypting it, you don't really need to be worried too much. Yep. So it's uh, definitely an interesting read. And, uh, like, apparently if you were somehow able to harness the energy of a supernova, uh, it still really wouldn't be enough energy to crack a, like, uh, what was it, like 192-bit AES right. key or something. Yeah. Well, I like the example, like, if 128 wasn't good enough for you, well, then just make it 129, then that'll just stop everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You're not, you're not going to win. So, speaking of trying to store the universe, uh, the Internet Archive is trying to raise funds to buy three terabytes of storage. Or uh, four, depending on how you look at it. Uh, apparently so they have... Is it really terabytes? Because their website totally says petabytes. Oh, sorry. My bad. Yeah. Petabytes. There you go. Because yeah, when I read that, I thought, well, they must be uh, really poor, because I probably could afford that. Well, you are a college student, after all. I wouldn't want to push you too much. I guess. I mean, four terabytes. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, four petabytes, excuse me. Um, so, yeah, apparently they have a donor that will match, like, every one in three donations or something. That's okay, I guess. So they only really need to raise money for three petabytes rather than four. Right. So they're using 190 terabytes per month, and they'll probably run, they probably use, um, a petabyte every half five and year. a half or so. Yeah, so they, they need um they need some uh they need some help with that. Yes. So unfortunately, I don't think that my website has made it onto the Internet Archive yet. So. Yeah, I don't know. I know I know my other website, it's up down, is up there, but I don't know if any of my newer content is anywhere else. Anyways, uh, speaking of really big things, uh. See, I'm not sure who they are, but uh, this group called 500 Friends has uh, did a little research on Amazon and uh, trying to find out how big Amazon is. So this infographic basically details what, how much money they've made, how much how much money and how often they make, some some comparisons to Target, Walmart, and Amazon themselves, um, like how many people shop there. It's really interesting. So. So the people that shop on Amazon, 80 million people, and so that's how many monthly visitors they get. They mm -hmm. can fill 24 Mall of Americas, which is interesting because that's where I live, essentially, right down the street from there. Yeah. And like there are 152 active Amazon or 152 million active Amazon accounts, and that's 30 million more people than watched the uh, 2012 election. Who voted in? Yeah, who uh, voted? Yes. Where did so, I see the word watched? I don't know. Oh. So. Oh, apparently something about Ohio. Yeah. Significant. Like, uh, that's uh, two and a half times Ohio's population, 30 million. Of course, uh, it should be quite a bit bigger than that because there's no jobs in Ohio left. Right. So everyone is leaving. 
So it's interesting that Amazon makes most of its money from... And, and in full disclosure, I left Ohio. Well, so there you go. You're proud of the problem. Or part or of the solution. Yeah, I think you're proud of the solution, actually. Um, yeah, I'm just like standing right over the border going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> exactly. But I would leave Ohio, too. Well, I think it's interesting that electronics makes up so much of Amazon's uh, revenue. Yeah. Or where their expenditures are. That's nice. And yeah. I, I'm wondering where video games would fall. I think that might be under electronics as well. Yeah, probably. Well, no, it says movies, music, and games, so maybe well, that's what it is. I guess. That's yeah, kind of a hard call there. So, yeah. well, then Amazon. again, they have, they have the Kindle as well, so yeah. apparently I hear that's pretty hot. So And uh, they figured out their projected revenue, and they say uh, that's $117,882 every minute of sales. Is that amazing? Or revenue, rather. And uh, that's almost $2,000 every second. Yeah. One moment. Phone calls are interrupting. I'll just let it ring, and then we can resume. Yeah. Yeah, your sound quality went way down there. Oh, well, see, that's probably because it's using the bandwidth. Okay. Uh, Is it back? Uh, keep talking. Hey, how's it going? Big week? Doing well? I think I think I'm good. Phones are done ringing, so I think we should be good. Uh, you're still a little cloudy there. Uh, oh, no. wait, wait, wait. There, I think it's back. Good. Okay, good. Okay, wonderful. So, I hear you hate games. You know, I do hate games. Except for Guild Wars, apparently. Yeah, I like Guild Wars. That's okay. So, uh, I like Journey too, by the way. Just so you know. Uh, so recently, uh, THQ. Uh, a rather large uh, AAA game publisher. Uh, well, I really shouldn't say that large. Uh, uh, recently did a Humble Bundle, uh, which is a pay-what-you-want uh, sale, a uh, package of, uh, I think it was like five games, and you can get like four more if you paid above the average of everyone else. Uh, so that went on for about two weeks, and this sale had over $5 million. Mm, that's good. And uh, there was a lot of controversy over this as uh, all these games were released for Steam. You could you know, just redeem a Steam code and you get all these games. Uh, however, all these other Humble Bundles uh, were also available for Mac and Linux as well, and uh, also on Windows without Steam. So that caused a lot of controversy. And uh, because of that, uh, THQ is seriously pondering whether to release their games for Linux. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting that they are pondering that in light of the other news that has come out about THQ. Yeah, so uh, once upon a time, I go to Ars Technica this morning, and it looks like THQ has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah, I, I, I woke up today and I read this story as my first headline and was like, well, that's that's... Sad. Yeah, so uh, apparently THQ has been going through a lot of financial trouble of late. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, a few weeks ago uh, on 8-Bit, there was a guest, Sam Roth, and he, he was explaining that despite the Humble Bundle's success at the time, so they had made like $5 million at that time, mm -hmm. um, despite that, it's probably not good for Humble Bundle's 
for THQ to even do the Humble Bundle in a way because, well, it does give them great exposure and people get their games for cheap. It's not making them enough money because those games obviously are being sold at actual price. Right. Yeah. So I, it was kind of like a last-ditch effort to make some money out. Yeah, and uh, I seem to have a soft spot for all the Humble Bundles. And, like, my Steam account is just filled with these, and I really haven't started playing any of them. Yeah. Well, speaking of Steam, uh, today on Facebook there was um, some NVIDIA giveaway. Uh, NVIDIA was giving away um, codes for Metro 33 or something. 2033. 2033, that's what it was. And so I, I got that. Yeah. but I probably, uh, I'll never play it, but I got it. Yeah, and uh, so remember when Crisis was released? Yep, I remember Crisis. Yeah, and like how apparently no one could run it, but yep. like my stupid little laptop could for some reason. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so apparently Crisis was the standard bearer for uh, like really intensive games. And uh, then it was last year, whenever Metro 2033 came out, that you know, everyone, you know, that you really should be asking, does it play Metro 2033? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that it'd be about time that, you know, people stopped asking, well, can it run Crisis? Well, I mean, the, the whole deal, um, Crisis 3 is going to be coming out sometime next year, and uh, they're trying to make it. So, can it play Crisis 3? That, that's what well, they're trying but, to aim but for. But why would you want to ask if, you know, a computer can play a five-year-old game? I right, mean, it'll, exactly. pl- it'll play Farmville just fine. Well, I mean, honestly... A computer might play a real game really well, but maybe it won't play Flash that well. I mean, it could happen. Yeah. Or uh, Adobe could just, you know, stop doing Flash. I mean, yeah, they could, but they won't. So, anyways. So, do you uh, you know about that Wii U? You know, the, the DRM that's all over it? Yeah. You know that guy who had those games from the previous Wii and then wanted to transfer them, and then his memory cartridge was somehow corrupt, and he had to get his Nintendo Wii returned to Nintendo to get it fixed so that he could get it back and then transfer? Well, he actually did get most of his stuff transferred. Yeah, so that's a happy story, but uh, probably shouldn't have uh, been that way in the first place. No. And I think it's absurd that you need to physically transfer... Um, media from one Wii to another Wii. It should have all been wireless because they both have Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. So why couldn't it, like, oh, look, there's a Wii on the network and there's a Wii U on the network. Oh, let's transfer. Oh, obvious. So I don't know. But, uh, you know, Nintendo, you know, sort of still figuring out this online stuff. Clearly. So and that, that feature isn't even very online-based. It's just intranetwork. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's it's almost as if I I mean I don't know what the state of networking is in Japan, but it's almost as if they put less emphasis on it because they I don't know I mean I just don't know, but it's that's what it seems like. Yep. So yeah, get with the program, Nintendo. Well, you know who is getting with the program? Raspberry Pi. Oh really? Yeah. Apparently, their store in quotes is opening, and most of the stuff is free. So, so I, I'm assuming their store is kind of like an app store. Um, yeah. Some of some of the apps are, you know, games, and they have some utility apps like LibreOffice, of course, which is you know a pretty standard thing to have on 
cheap systems. Yeah, I'm not sure how well a Raspberry Pi could run a LibreOffice. No, no, I don't think that's a wise choice. But you can do it if you really want to. Yep. So, although I could think of something that the Raspberry Pi might be sort of good at. Uh, remember that four-year transform we talked about a little while ago? Yeah. And uh, do you like math? I, I do occasionally like math. Okay. Well, there's a uh, proper explanation of the fast Fourier transform. That is uh, pretty much an optimized version of the Fourier transform. It does the same thing. Uh, but the, uh, the time that it takes to run is uh, much smaller. Uh, let's see. Uh, you, have you gone through an algorithms class yet? Um, not, a, not a class dedicated to them, no. Uh, do you know what uh, Big O means? Yes, I, I do know what Big O is, yes. Yes, it's uh, pretty much the measure of increase of how long an algorithm will run right. uh, based on its increase of input. Mm -hmm. So apparently a Fourier transform has an N-squared uh, input, so if you put in twice as much, it'll run four times longer. Right. Uh, but uh, fast Fourier transform only has an N log N. Uh, oh, that's, that's much better. Increase. So, yeah. Efficiency. Yeah, definitely. Well, and so I, one of the things I do a lot is I see, you know, structures in code and I'm like, oh, it, it has three loops. That's just n squared or n cubed. Cubed, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I just count the loops and multiply it up there. But uh, I've never really understood how it got to the, uh, the, the logs yeah, I, I, since I haven't taken that kind of a class yet, but. Yeah, yeah, me neither, but uh, it pretty much all depends on uh, the frequency it reaches a break statement. Right, yeah, pretty much. And if it reaches it, you know, like maybe half the time, it's, you know, log somewhere. Right. Yeah, so. it's pretty interesting. I think um, Sam has actually taken more of those classes than I have right now. Yes. So, and uh, the uh, algorithms and data structures, uh, that class I took back in college, you know, it, they actually sort of combined the two subjects uh, but, uh, you know, that was like one of the more interesting classes that I took because you're actually really, you know, doing something really interesting with like, uh, you know, programs and objects and mm -hmm. stuff like all the, you know, the hard math that, you know, computers were built to do. Right. And that's one of my biggest problems. I don't want to know the hard math. I just want to know the algorithm. Yes. And, uh, then later on, I think it might've been in my penultimate quarter, maybe, <laughs> that uh, I took a discrete mathematics class. Oh. And uh, that was really hard, but it was also really fun, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, do you know what a, uh, uh, like, a minimum spanning tree is? I do not. Oh. You know what a graph is? I have heard of a graph, yes. Okay, well, it deals with that, so. Oh, yeah. oh phone call again. There goes my bandwidth. Yep. So, what are your folks on uh, VoIP or something? No, no. So we're on we're on Quest here. Oh, and, right. Oh, so it goes on DSL through the phone line. Yeah, it's on. Well, I said Quest. I mean CenturyLink. But um, yeah, so we're on CenturyLink, and so it's all over the phone line. And I have noticed the the serious signal degradation whenever there is a call, and it's so weird because when we had Vonage, it never died out that much. Okay, and you're back out of the cave again. Oh, back out? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Continue. Yeah. So, well, on that note, though, uh, let's see, it took a bit of convincing, but uh, 
my I remember my mom always, you know, telling me since I was, you know, homeschooled and such, I was in the house all the time. And the filing cabinets were like right beside the desk. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you how many times she, you know, walked up and, you know, would put a phone bill in the cabinet. And she's she'd always say, it costs 40 bucks a month to have a phone in the house, plus long distance and blah, blah, blah. Right. So and then uh, it was after I conned her into getting cable Internet or rather allowed me to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, it's like, hey, we might be able to get Vonage on this and it might actually be cheaper. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, do all this. It's like, oh, and there's free long distance, too. And they really like that. So they, they use long distance a lot? Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Okay. In fact, it's gotten to such a point where, like, uh, my aunt will call. And uh, she'll say, oh, call me right back. I'm at home or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So when we had Vonage, my, my dad's sister lived in Canada. So whenever she wanted to talk to my dad, she would call and then he would call her back just like that. Yeah. Yep. So then a few years ago, we got rid of Vonage, and, and I don't really know why, but I, apparently nobody liked it anymore, because hmm. I don't know. Well, I keep on, uh, you know, asking her, I, you know, call her up, and it's like, so anything anything bad about it? Is it still working right? It's like, yep, it's still working fine, and it's been maybe five years now. Yeah, you know, they were pushing Vonage a lot in the early days, and they, they don't seem to advertise nearly as much as they used to. I... I, I remember hearing something about the company, some instability, but... Yeah, which is uh, really surprising because uh, Earthlink, uh, the sort of pseudo-virtual ISP that uh, we mm-hmm. have, uh, is pretty much also in the same dire straits as well. Yeah. So on their website, I mean, they're just, oh, here, have phones for 10 bucks a month. Yep. Yeah. It could be a good deal if you need a phone, I guess. So... Uh, Let's change rails a little bit and talk about Wikipedia and databases. I love love Wikipedia and databases. Why don't we talk about those? Yes. So uh, do you know what all happened with MySQL? Uh, They were purchased and they're sucky. Uh, Well, they were originally purchased by Sun, which everyone was okay with, I guess. Yeah, that's that's fine. They made Java. It's open. It's fine. But then this big red evil company called Oracle says big leak and buys them. Yes, so every, you know everyone sort of has a distrust of Oracle, including yours truly. Right, of course. I and, don't blame you. And uh, yeah, MySQL isn't really doing a whole lot. No, Oracle's kind of leaving it to its own languishing doom, really, and it and it's really too bad. Which, yeah, which is really odd because you know MySQL is open sourced. It well, and it's such a successful product. I mean, it's it it's not shipped with WordPress, but WordPress needs it. And if WordPress is 15% of the internet, it's kind of important. Yes, and uh, you know it's not called a lamp stack without MySQL. Right, it'd just be a lap stack then. So the dude that uh, made MySQL uh, sort of got mad and he left. And he made a, uh, I believe it's a storage engine. It might be like a completely different uh, you know, database system. But it's still compatible with MySQL. It's called, That's good. It's called MariaDB. That's odd. And uh, you ask, Andrew, what does this have to do with Wikipedia? Yeah, what does it have to do with it? Well, Wikipedia is changing its database from MySQL to Maria. Really? Yes. Uh, And for as much as MySQL is derided in the database community for not really being a real database, you know, 
it runs the sixth largest website on the internet. So wait, people say that MySQL isn't a real database? Yeah, like it apparently has something to do with uh, like not supporting ACID transactions by default. Oh, come on. And like a whole bunch of other stuff that, you know, proper databases should do. MySQL totally supports transactions. Uh, depending on what kind of storage engine you have underneath well, of it. Well, yeah, I know. But, I mean, if you pick the right one, it totally does. So, but, yeah, uh, looks Winers. like, looks like uh, Wikipedia is actually seeing a like an 8% performance bump out of this. Well, that's great. So when I, when I, when I, I thought it was interesting, so I wondered uh, if, because I didn't know what Maria was at the time, uh, when I was reading this earlier, I was wondering if they were suddenly switching to a NoSQL-based system, which is really weird. Yeah, I haven't really played around with uh, NoSQL at yeah, all. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't either, because it's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I want something that can store structured data, and I don't want to think about it. Right, if well, I mean... If it's unstructured, if it's unstructured, that means I have to think about the structure a little bit. Right. In some ways, NoSQL makes sense. Like it's uh, NoSQL is kind of like a big hash map in a way, uh, which is good in some cases. But in most traditional web-based, I don't know, applications, you really just want that structured data. Mm-hmm. So, uh, are you considering yourself a designer? I'm not a designer, but I, I do have some design prowess built up over the years of trying to make my stuff not look like crap. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same position myself, but uh, uh, I got some tips on how you can totally uh, not make your site, you know, you know, make eyes bleed or something. Yeah, that's probably a good good goal. Yeah, and like totally not make it look like it was something plucked out of the dark corners of GeoCities. Well, so this um this is an article from Twenty Four Ways. I think they do this every year. So like. All, all through December, they release one article about something, and some famous-ish person writes it, I guess. Yep. So. And so uh, some of their suggestions are use Bootstrap. Bootstrap is uh, kind of a, a fr- CSS framework that was developed by the um, people who some, – some people that worked at uh, Twitter, they left now, but they're still working at Bootstrap, I think. So use Bootstrap. It makes your CSS look really nice and consistent. Add some features. Use nice fonts from Google uh, Google Fonts. Add some add, textures yeah. from Subtle Patterns, which is something we've done for the Nexus. Uh, add icons. Add CSS3. Make twists with a background image. Now, this is where I start disagreeing with this. That background image did not work. Yeah. You no, know, it does not look okay. If uh, you know, if you're going to add texture and then a background image, I think it might just be piling too much stuff on. Well, I mean that background that background image just wasn't the right one. And then I liked the green and blue buttons, and then they changed it to orange and red. And I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that just wasn't the design for me. I don't know. But in uh, general, that is a great suggestion. Use Bootstrap definitely. Yeah, it seemed like the. Uh, Along with uh, the green and blue buttons, it would go well with the horrible background. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of Bootstrap, um, you, you've probably visited the Nexus website once or twice, maybe. Yeah, uh, I can't remember yeah. the last time I was there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Well, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing at some point is reworking the CSS. I coded all the CSS by hand, and 
I'm not bad, but I'm not good either. One of the things I wanted to do is actually try using this um, framework similar to uh, Blue... Uh, what is it called? Uh, man, I'm getting old. Uh, bootstrap. It's called Foundation, and it allows you to have a nice grid-based responsive website. And it has buttons, and it has you know little nifty widget-like things all over the place, just like Bootstrap does. Yeah, I've come across this uh, before, actually. Yeah, so I, I think I might try that sometime. It, it, it's really interesting to me because I don't want to write my own media queries. But I don't have to. Yeah, I've I've actually done a few myself. Um, like on my own blog. Yeah, it's exactly where I was using it originally. Yeah, um, like if you narrow my blog to like a certain pixel width, the yeah. sidebar goes straight to the bottom. Right, and, and the, so I, the fonts get smaller too. Yeah, so my my blog does something similar to that. I don't I don't have a sidebar on mine, but if I, it, it it could do that if I wanted it to, and I just yeah. The only problem is I don't have a mobile device of any sort to test this on, so I'm not sure if it would actually look good with smaller text. Well, here, let me uh, let me get that done for you. I, I just happen to have a Nexus 7 right here. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it, uh, my site also has a print-style sheet to it as well. So, oh, really? Yes, yeah, so, so if you print it out, it'll look uh, rather different. Think See, I, I've yeah. never actually made one. You never made a print style sheet before? No, because I um I don't want people printing my website. I think that's ridiculous. It's yeah. a website. Yeah, um I thought so too, but I just wanted to do it just because. Yeah, good reason. So honestly, on my Nexus 7 here, I'm staring at it. I'll take a screenshot and send it to you in a little bit. But the website, uh, it's not changing to that squished mobile layout. It, it's Apparently the screen is wide enough so that it doesn't need to collapse the sidebar. Hmm. In in both orientations, so in in landscape and in portrait. Interesting. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I like the um I like the idea of uh, transitioned and media queries, but it's a lot of work to do myself. Okay. So what else do you know? Ah, uh, well, I know a little bit about what's going on in Australia. Well, that's um, good. Yeah. So. You know how uh, Hollywood and, you know, the music industry are going after ISPs and, like, sending out, you know, letters to people saying that you've pirated stuff? Yeah. So apparently one Australian ISP called IINet is not going to uh, have any part of this. It pretty much told Hollywood to change your business models or else uh, because the idea of waiting uh, a year to a year and a half uh, for a movie to come out on DVD is just not cutting it anymore. Yeah, I agree. That I'm I'm really glad some government is actually putting or uh, an ISP is saying that that's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, uh, furthermore, if uh, they would want to change their business models, uh, you know, this ISP says that uh, they would be happy to help them out with that. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Uh, what would that even be? Uh, maybe helping them open up a store. Okay, I guess so. Uh, for reasonable prices and on reasonable terms. Right. So, like, not burdened down with a DRM. Yeah, I don't know. And it's funny that it's an Australian ISP. And in Australia, they have... It, it's not a, a firewall, but it's kind of like a... A few years ago, they were talking about it. It was kind of a... I don't know. Like, they were going to do something to the Internet where it would be very restricted and stuff. Yeah, and that uh, sort of... Uh, 
you know, fizzled out. Yeah. As it, as things do. And of course, I hear that internet in Australia isn't really that great to begin with, anyway. No, it, it's really bad, apparently. Yeah. I mean, granted, they are just like you know, just down the ocean from China a little bit. Well, but, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to have internet on an island. Uh, but you know, Australia is. You know, either the world's smallest continent or the world's largest island. I like to say it's the world's largest island, just me. to make them feel good. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, so, anyways, uh, do you comment your code? I, I do comment my code. I use um, PHP doc when I write PHP, and I use uh, Java doc when I write Java or JavaScript. Ah, uh, uh, me too. Uh, have you ever uh, put comments uh, like actually in line inside the functions? Um, I, I do, if it looks really weird, like if I do something bizarre, or uh, if I'm making something really short, or if I, as I mentioned, doing something bizarre. If it's not obvious what you're doing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so, uh, Timothy Fitz uh, hates comments. Uh, like, He's a weirdo. Yes, all around. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, so... Uh, well, I pretty pretty much shouldn't say all around because when I clicked on this link initially, I thought it was you know like web blog comments. Uh, well, so that's what when I read was reading your show notes earlier this month, I I encountered this story in there and I I proceeded to read it and I always read the post slug to see what the title of the post is and I thought he of course is going to go rant off on blog post comments too. Yeah, I believe uh, it's uh, Joel Spolsky. Uh, he really doesn't believe in blog comments, but this is totally yeah. not about that. Yeah, he's one of them. So, uh, anyway, this guy shows uh, some sections of Python code here, uh, like about comments, and uh, like pretty much these are obviously useless, uh, pretty much, and like how they will get rab- uh, get obsolete rather rapidly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for instance, this counter should never be greater than five. Uh, well, what happens if that 5 gets refactored out and then some time later it gets set to 20? Then that comment is essentially out of date and lying to you. Well, okay, so first of all, that comment shouldn't have been there anyway because, like, it's... I don't even know what that does, so that this whole function isn't clear what it actually is doing. Like, what is this a counter for? What is it incrementing? Like, there's stuff we don't know about that. So, obviously, this comment is out of place. And if we knew those other things, I don't think the comment would be have would have been there in any way. Yeah. So, what he uh, suggests is take out all your comments and replace them with tests. Now, maybe that's not bad, but I think comments still have a place. Yeah. Um, like, for instance, uh, what is this negative one doing here? And then if you put in, oh, account for the margin of something, okay... Yeah, and know what it's there for. You can't really exactly unit test for that. No, and and sometimes you might write a comment there for just workflow or remind you to yourself of why you're doing something. Mm-hmm. So I, I I write a lot of CSS and CSS doesn't have one line comments, and that's really annoying because then you have to have you know the the stream comment. So yeah. and. You have to do a lot of bizarre things in CSS, and I admit it's not like a programming language, but you do have to do a lot of weird stuff. So comments are really helpful, and you cannot unit test the CSS, <laughs> just so you know. So, well, I think there might be some way to test that, uh, at least automatically. You'd um, be surprised. Yeah. Not, not a fun experience. But, uh, yeah, this sort of you know gets at a itch I've had for a long time, 
you know, I've been out in the real world and there are comets pretty much as useless as this, maybe more, and some of them are have actually been uh, obsoleted. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, the last place I was at, uh, like, had, you know, stuff for paging. Oh, right. Yeah, so, like, you got a big list, big query, and, yep. you know, we need to page through it. Yeah. And, like, this one comment here is, like, you know, someone, I think it was, like, Lena added this here for paging. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, I can sort of see that, you know, there's this paging inside of there, number one. And number two, who the hell is Lena? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it doesn't help that everyone at this company has left over the years. Right. So, so you know, names to people are, you know, are obsolete within, say, two years. Right. Um, and then, like, especially bug fixes. Like, oh, people, yeah. People will add, you know, stuff saying it's like, oh, this is the fix for bug number whatever, whatever. Oh, that's terrible. And then, like, down below it'll say end bug whatever, whatever. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, uh, what was, like, this thing supposed to be doing in the first place? Why was this a bug? Why was this a problem? And, you know, like, all this other stuff. So how would you deal with that? Would you make people look in the in the repo in the like the commit history or would you how would you credit bug fixes and how would you keep track of those kind of things uh well generally you know it's either a mix of comments or uh or rather commits and uh like with the uh version control system right rather than actually in the code mm -hmm. yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't put bug fix numbers and bug fix credits in code, I would keep those in the uh, repo, in the in the git history or Merkle or whatever system you're using. I would keep those as far away from the code as possible. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, this doesn't really do anything to me. Uh, like, was this, you know, supposed to be a feature that was in there from the beginning? Or what, did the business process change? Right. So, and, like, all this other kind of useless stuff that you're finding, you know, corporate code all the time. Eh, corporate code, there you go. <sighs> it was like a helicopter going over your house. That's amazing. Uh, well, uh, actually, where I live is, like, 10 miles away from the Pittsburgh airport. Oh, so it really was an airplane. Yes. Oh, well, okay, I wasn't so wrong. Anyways, um, speaking of jobs and whatnot... I've uh, found an article on Forbes that uh, pretty much lists out the reasons that talent will leave your company. And this uh, profiles the disconnect between what CEOs think and what is actually reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, you know, sort of, you know, I've just had this feeling in companies that, you know, it's like, oh, maybe it's just time to move on. And I think this pretty much, you know, nails it. Uh, I know for instance, my first job I left because it totally was not a challenge and I did not have anything to do at all. Right. It was like this for a few months and I kept on telling my managers, Hey, I have nothing to do, but uh, mm -hmm. nothing really happened. I right. was just pretty much sitting around waiting for something to break. So, and then my second job, my contract expired. I'm not sure why. And the third one, uh, was pretty much all, you know, mostly all old stuff. And, you know, I wasn't really seeing that going to change too much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially uh, when we got bought out, there was a whole lot of, uh, you know, managerial work going on. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't being led and whatnot. And, like, my skills were definitely not being developed because this is all old stuff. 
I mean, you could you could say, you know, it's like, okay, well, developing old stuff is sort of a skill because you need to know what's not there. It's like, well, they put that there for, you know, they put that there in subsequent iterations for a reason to make everything easier, maybe mm-hmm. because it was better and all this. Well, I like this article because it's written from a employer, um, like it's written to an employer, yes. and it's not written to an employee standpoint, so that's really nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of older stuff, uh, you ever wonder what uh, things were like in the 60s? I, I can't even imagine what they were like. Yes. Um, so this uh, you know older guy, he uh, has a presentation on uh, how things were like back in the old days, uh, especially with Al Gall. And, Which is uh, such a funny name. Yes, you know, it sort of goes with Cobol and all that. Yeah, uh-huh. So uh, he... You know, pretty much explains, you know, what the data structures were and, like, how things were done. And apparently buffer overflows were impossible back then. Really? Because the hardware actually checked a descriptor before it wrote something to an array. Oh. Well, that must have been slow. But, well, hey, you do what you got to do. I guess so. So, hey, you hear that Bill Gates is rich? I I have heard of that. I, I do... You know that. Apparently, he's so rich that he's throwing his money down a toilet. Um, except that this toilet is from the future. Uh, well, that is certainly from the future. Yes, this uh, uh, future toilet is uh, like completely sanitary and uh, you know pretty much you know takes your business and uh, you know does cool things with it. Takes your business and does cool things with it. That could be the slogan. Yes. Uh, so it takes your stuff and uh, turns it into hydrogen fertilizer and water and you know all this cool stuff. And yeah. it's uh, basically targeted towards uh, you know like the third world and Africa and stuff. Yeah, definitely. So you know stuff you know places where there's not a whole lot of sanitation mm-hmm. uh, because you know over there there's you know big problems with that. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, it's not really a advent of medical technology per se, but, uh, you know, a lot of the increase in lifespan, the average lifespan over the past, say, 500 years, has mostly been due to, you know, proper sanitation. Mm-hmm. So this uh, will definitely help them out. Well, I like, I like um, what they write in the first paragraph. Today is World Toilet Day. Yes. So, and uh, apparently it's sanitary, it, it doesn't require a whole lot of upkeep, uh, but it is repairable. Oh, that's good. Well, I, I, I see, see the price down here. Um, so, Caltech Solar Toilet team now has $1.6 million in funding from the Gates Foundation. They expect to have a prototype ready to ship to Africa um, sometime in December 2013, so kind of a whole year away, but with the price tag of approximately $2,200. So, I mean, it's not like a $300 toilet that you can just get at your local hardware store. I mean, it's a little bit more technologically advanced mm-hmm. than that. But, I mean, it's not totally out of the realm. Yeah, possibility. but that might be a big uh, sticking point. It, it definitely is, but as, as soon as they start making them, I'm sure prices will go down, too. And now for this week's installment of LOL Apple. Oh, it's the best part. Yes. So uh, this bloke uh, pretty much uh, 
does a blog post, uh, you know, telling everyone about his beautiful wife called Apple. Well. Yes, he uh, mentioned uh, how they all, you know, went around and how they liked each other. She came into a lot of wealth over the years. It's hard to hide a light under a bushel and her shown her shown strong. We got so wealthy that we even have staff and she chose awesome people, although even that got a little strange. As with everything, she's obsessed over choosing exactly the right stuff. Brilliant, but also friendly and capable of anything. That sounds like Apple. Yep. Uh, So we went everywhere together, did everything together. She was always game for anything. We'd go rock climbing, skiing, touring around Europe. It was wonderful. She was so pretty and intriguing that complete strangers would make excuses to come over and talk to us in coffee shops. Yep, yep, that's right. So this uh, bloke keeps on going on there that her, uh, you know, appetite for very expensive things pretty much uh, drove him over the edge. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh... Like how he just pretty much walked out on her. So I'm reading one of the com. There's only two comments on this post, and the first comment on the bottom is, well, I guess it's the latest comment at the time. Wait, is this a person, or is this an obscure analogy to owning an Apple computer? <laughs> and I love that. Like, really? <laughs> you didn't get the disconnect there. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that was good. I guess that's not really, uh, well, it's not really a, you know discrediting Apple, but yeah, it is a very big issue for a lot of people. Right, of course. You know what I hate? Why don't you tell me? I hate LinkedIn. Really? Because you promote a LinkedIn a lot more than everybody else here. Yeah, which is, uh, well, now that you pointed out, that's kind of ironic. I but know. Now that I'm, uh, you know, I have changed jobs, I'm trying to add people who work at my job. That makes sense. Uh, except that apparently my company is so small that it really doesn't have a presence on LinkedIn. So, but, uh, you know, at least uh, my boss and a few of my coworkers are on there. And I cannot add any of them uh, to my network. How come? I have no idea. So it doesn't even tell you anything? It just says no? It says, would you like to be introduced to this person? So I sent a a message to my recruiter, you know, saying, you know, hey, this is my boss. I'd like to be connected to her. And uh, he wasn't really of much help. Well, that's, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, it you know, both of us have, you know, you know, the exact same string of characters for our company, but still isn't clicking. Yeah, I I just don't I just don't do LinkedIn because it just doesn't offer much. Like I I think 
if somebody saw my LinkedIn page, they wouldn't really know me. But if somebody saw my blog and they actually read a few pages of it, they would probably know me a little bit better. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much the same way with a lot of people. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's nice to have, but I don't I don't see it as a, a nexus point for actual employment at this point. Yeah. So, but enough with the hate. I mean, Christmas is coming up. Yeah. I, I want to love a few things. Why don't you tell me about it? Uh, at least one thing. I love Virtual Box. Uh, you know the uh, little. Uh, virtual machine software that uh, originally came from somewhere that Sun bought up. Yeah. Yeah. And Sun did a good job with it. Yeah, it's uh, you know uh, has all the features that I want in in it. Uh, you know, it has this cool uh, integration mode where you don't really uh, see like the desktop and the icons of the virtual machine, but like all the windows are still floating on top. Yeah, I've used that mode, and it's really, really disorienting. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But, well, uh, so my yeah. setup for VirtualBox is interesting, so I'll tell you about it after. So, yeah, I uh, use one of my monitors just as, you know, a virtual machine monitor. Well, what, So what are you uh, what are you visualizing? Uh, well, I uh, mostly vi- virtualize a uh, Linux uh, machine uh, that I use to program my blog in. And oh. it's uh, rather similar to the setup I have on my server. I see. So you don't directly code on the server? Oh, no. Oh, okay. What do you think I'm using, PHP? Oh, yeah, you're right. I, <laughs> I use Java for that. That's, so. that's, a, that's a travesty. Anyways, uh, what do you use it for? Well, so I have uh, a Windows XP, um, and I know that sounds funny. I have a Windows XP install on my old computer, and so what I actually do is I, I walk into the other room, wake my old computer up from sleep, and because it doesn't have a mouse or a keyboard anymore, I have to hit the power button, and that just wakes it up from sleep. And then I come back into this room, and I, I sit down, I open up VirtualBox, and I mount the uh, VDI, the, the little thing that represents the hard drive, right. that, that's on a network share from my other computer in the other room, and then... All of the stuff happens lo- locally on my machine, but the the drive is apparently fast enough over the network so that XP can be virtualized here, even though it's over there. And then I work with Photoshop and Illustrator. Hmm. Yeah, I really I, weird setup. Yeah, I actually have uh, I actually have tried that. You know, putting a virtual machine on you know a network share on another machine, and uh, it works okay. But, uh, you know, I, I actually do notice some increased lag with that. Yeah, there is increased lag, but it, it's surprisingly decent. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, just looking at uh, my list here, I also have a, I actually have a XP virtual machine. Oh, yeah, just like me. Uh, which I'm not really sure I use it for. No. But, uh, you know, I decided to be uh, rather... You know, Venture. sadistic and okay. uh, keep uh, IE six on there. Oh well, see now that makes sense. Just so yeah, I can lull, at, just so I can lull at my site when it breaks in it. <laughs> of course, I also use VirtualBox occasionally to test new uh, beta versions of Ubuntu or a new distro that everybody's hyping. Yes, I also have a uh, live CD, uh, you know, setup where yeah. I can just you know throw in a an ISO and it'll go. Yeah, that's and always I, nice to have. I still have a Windows 8 virtual machine farting around with the uh, I think it might be the consumer preview. 
So did you switch your actual computer to Windows 8 yet, or are you still no. on Windows 7? Okay. So um, I kind of lucked out. Uh, my uh, school has that uh, MSDN Academic Alliance thing. Oh, yeah, that's good. So uh, I graduated just as Windows 7 was coming out. Oh, perfect. So, you know, I I haven't paid for a Windows license since uh, my laptop I got back in 2007. Yeah, don't pay for things. So... I'm probably going to ride Windows 7 for as long as everyone supports it. You know, so I've been using Windows 8 for, I don't know, since uh, since October, I guess. And I, I use it every day, essentially. And when I see a computer with Windows 7 now, I wonder, what's going on with that computer? Because I'm just used to the way mine looks now, and the default uh, Windows 8 UI is not really a problem for me anymore. Speaking of, you know, what I program in my uh, virtual machine, I want to talk about my blog a little bit. I'd love to hear about your blog. So, uh, recently, as I may have mentioned a few times before, I was trying to, uh, you know, put an SSL certificate on there so everything would be encrypted. But unfortunately, that uh, didn't really do much and uh, pretty much failed. Oh, did it? That's yes. too bad. Uh, in fact, I so epically failed at it that I needed to reinstall my uh, server program. Well, that's quite it's, an epic fail, then. Yes. Uh, so I'm like, okay, abort, abort, abort. Just <laughs> reinstall everything, <laughs> or just you know, just you know, put a fresh copy on Glassfish on there. You know, call it an afternoon and go to a Christmas party. It's so funny when you talk about Glassfish because I've I've heard about it, I've seen it, but I don't know what it is. So. Um, unfortunately, when that happened, I lost my old deployment, and uh, uh-huh. fortunately, I didn't really have uh, any, uh, I think I might have had some source code from that lying around, but, you know, I didn't care, because I got some uh, new stuff to push out onto there. So, if you go to my blog, it uh, also has some uh, anti-spam features on it. Yeah, I've been caught in your anti-spam features, actually. Yes, uh, sorry about that. Not a problem. But uh, uh, do, you, do you know what criteria made me get caught in that? Was it uh, because I just posted too short of a word or posted a link or something? Uh, no. Uh, did you have cookies or JavaScript yeah, I, enabled? Yeah, I, I had cookies and JavaScript enabled, as I always do. Hmm, because uh, that, that would probably be the... Uh, uh, upper causes of that. So do you use like a honeypot or what do you use to do it? I have recently implemented a honeypot with new stuff. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much anything, if you go to my uh, site and you know try to request a PHP thing, it will ban your IP for like 10 minutes or so. That's hilarious. I was about to do it and then you told me what would happen. So... Uh, but, you know, fortunately I have the database right here, so well, I, I, I still would not suggest you doing that. No, I probably uh, won't. Because, uh, you know, I've noticed in my uh, logs I also do some uh, web analytics uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there's this one tool out there that pretty much scans servers for, like, every known version of uh, PHP, my, uh, PHP my admin. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so it pretty much goes through like all these uh, versions, including release candidates, oh, uh, my. to try to find a way into your system. Uh huh. So I'm like, okay, enough of that. If you request a .php, you're out of here. That's great. And it'll just, you know, disconnect your. Uh, in theory, it should just disconnect uh, entirely without even sending your response code. Wow, that's pretty harsh. My server Did- will not dignify you with a response. 
<laughs> that's so good. So so that's all done from the Java? Like, you don't even have to interact with the Tomcat part? Uh, well, that is that is sort of in the, if you buy Tomcat, you mean like the servlets part? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, that's where it's implemented. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, because in I, PHP, you would have to somehow con Apache into saying, like, no, you can't come back. So, you know, in theory, if you close a uh, output stream that, you know, you cannot write to it anymore. So I guess that would include, uh, you know, sending response codes. Okay. So. Yeah, see, it's so weird for me because I come from a world where the server and the language part, all the business logic, they're not together. And it's weird when I try to do, like, uh, Node.js because the server and the business language are together, and it's weird. So it must be similar with uh, Java and serverless. Yeah. So if you directly click uh, into uh, into one of my posts from, say, okay. an RSS feed, and you have not been there in that session. Okay. Like, there will be a little bit of JavaScript in there that will change the uh, the form submit URL. Oh. So uh, the idea is the original uh, submit URL is goes to a honeypot. So, you know, bots and whatnot, spammers come through. They don't execute the JavaScript to change that. I see. That makes sense. So they will automatically go to my honeypot, don't have to worry about them anymore. And uh, along with that, I have uh, also implemented a token. Wait, I love your dollar sign underscore security underscore token. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, I will be changing that in my next deployment. Well, I should hope so. Because it's not really secure. It's just, well, you know... Well, it looks very generic. Well, it sort of is, but uh, then again, it is a hidden field. You can only see if you, you know, view the source. Well, I know. So it's just, you know, UUID that uh, my server gives you, and it requires that on any post, you know, that goes back to the server. Right, so that's... um. What is that called? Uh, like a C-surf? Is that what they call it these days? Uh, it's supposed to prevent, uh, I think it's like a cross-domain request or something. Yeah. So it's like XSS. Yeah, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I think XSS is more of a JavaScript thing, cross-domain yeah, scripting. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But I, what I'm thinking of is link incoming right there. C-surf. CSRF? Yeah, that one. Yeah, but uh, so I actually have a, a library that you know uh, checks all the post requests, like any post verb that comes into oh, my server. Yeah, it'll check for that automatically. The only down down part is I need to remind myself to put this thing. Oh, of course, on yes. every form that goes back. Um, uh, speaking of which, I probably should. Well, I'm not sure if I should put that into a honeypot or not. I think uh, an improvement on that would be if this is a new session, don't even put the submit form there. That would help. Yeah, probably. So, you know, because that, unfortunately, that does eat a little bit of memory on my server. It's not that bad, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean the thing has like 16 gigs of RAM. Well, and I'm going to say probably that you don't get that much traffic. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, if you've noticed, all the way at the bottom of my page, it'll say, like, request rendered in, like, some milliseconds. Yeah, 48 milliseconds here. Yes. Uh, let's see. I just pulled up my impossible question post, and it rendered in 33 seconds. Oh, uh, you see you're so fast. Yes, it's uh, sitting right behind me. 
Well, probably. Ha- well, what does the rendering time have to do with that? Uh, that's uh, uh, that counts the milliseconds from when the server initially receives the request. Like I try to get it like the you know earliest moment I can, and then it'll go through requests from the database, whatever, and spit out everything on the page. And it's the last thing on the page, so you know. I'm, okay. not, I'm not sure if it's already shoving through over the internet yet by that point or not. Well, but, so I'm getting 51 milliseconds on the impossible question. So I'm not sure if that might be because of your connection speed or whatever. Yeah. Or well, be- something. Yeah, and it does vary a little bit. So with okay, that, well, so I, I, I just uh, did the So Many Monitors page, and it's 33 milliseconds now. So with that, I can do some rather interesting things. Like, I can actually benchmark my web server using real data. So, uh, unfortunately, it looks like uh, like my main page uh, takes an average of 316 milliseconds to render. Oh, really? Because I just got your main page, the, the just top level, in 51 milliseconds. Yeah. Um, Seems inconsistent. Oh. So, so you don't do any, like, caching or anything? Uh, I do do a little bit of caching. If you uh, open up like Firebug or whatever Chrome has. I would love to. Uh, like you'll see uh, like an e-tag and like an expire setter. Okay, yeah. So that's like client-side caching. Yep. So um, let's see. Unfortunately, I don't think my database records the rendered time, but it records like the total request time. I love how your CSS file is called toilet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, – anyways uh, – uh, like a little bit further along in the uh, you know the lifespan or the life cycle, if you will, you know after everything's rendered, it you know starts to clean up and then it takes another time, and you know that's you know the whole total time of request that it's within my server. Mm-hmm. So and then I record that to the database as well. So now I can you know you know see that okay, well right now my main page takes an average of 295 milliseconds to serve with a standard deviation of 123 milliseconds. Well, that's not too bad. Yeah, uh, minimum uh, minimum time 38, maximum 679, uh, with 109 hits over the past day. Yeah, it's good. Yep. Uh, let's see, the, the single uh, longest average time is my uh, article RSS feed. Takes oh, a- RSS, yeah. Yeah, it uh, takes about 532 milliseconds, so almost a full second. Yeah, well, I can blame XML for that because it sucks. Uh, well, then again, you know, since I designed it, you know, the XML is pretty much resigning in memory anyway as like a DOM object it just goes through and serializes it. Uh, but then again, that RSS feed can get pretty big. Yeah, I think that's probably the factor, just the uh, amount of bytes. So when I look when I look at your page, I think it's interesting that I see your uh, fav icon in the in that uh, data image uh, data URL format. It's really weird to see that. Oh, so you noticed that? Oh, uh, yes, I did. So yeah, that was the uh, thing I was talking with. Uh, I believe it was Matt. Yeah. Uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. See, you, uh, normally people don't uh, don't do that, but I like it. I think it's neat. Yeah, it uh, you know chops off a uh, a request. Yeah, definitely. And it's and what also is neat is that, you know, it's a 16 by 16 pixel image, so it's really small. Yeah, I think it's uh, like maybe 600 or 800 bytes. Yeah. And uh, 
Uh, furthermore, I also did the actual favicon. If you go to my favicon URL, mm-hmm. um, it pretty much does the same thing. It does a uh, I believe it's a three o. Oh my gosh, that's obnoxious. Three o one URL. Yeah, uh, it does a redirect to a data URI. Yeah, that's that, not good. I think that's awesome. But it doesn't doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work in Chrome, but it works in Firefox. Oh, okay. okay. The only real browser, then. Uh, I think it works in pretty much everywhere else but Chrome. I like how it doesn't work in Chrome. So. Well, no, so I just tried it in Firefox. Oh, well, no script is yelling at me. Okay. <laughs> nah, not your fault, then. Yep. But okay, uh, I'm going to try it in the infamous Internet Explorer 10. doesn't work. Really? Nope. But uh, then again, like I only really uh, worry about the favicon uh, if you're trying to view the RSS feed inside the browser. Right. Otherwise, it comes through on the HTML page. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, but it was just it was just something that I uh, thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little dangerous. I'm, uh, I think it's cool. I also see that you have your IE9 uh, or less support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the uh, HTML5 shim. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, I was reading about HTML5, you know, way back in the day, like 2009 or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, we got, like, these uh, new semantic elements. Uh, you know, but unfortunately, you know, Internet Explorer just keeps on hanging around without, you know, proper standard support on it. Well, so when, I, when, I, when all of those semantic elements came out, I thought I would totally want to use them. But then... Every time I go to make a website, I decide, no, I don't really want to use them. Because when I'm developing the site, I don't know for sure something is going to be a section and not a dev. I don't know necessarily something is going to be a header. I don't like making meetings so permanent. I like my, my um, semantic classes and IDs instead. Uh, yeah, but uh, then again, I uh, read you know a little bit further into this. You, you can have multiple... You know, head header yeah. sections of multiple header groups and mm-hmm. multiple footers, and that sort of opened things up for me. It, it, that is true, but one of the problems I have with that is my um, my uh, scraper for the show titles that we use here on the Nexus. It interprets the title tag and H1 tags as worthy as being the page title. So. It, with with HTML5, you can have multiple header elements, and then inside of that, you can ha- just have H1s and H2s and H3s and all the H's galore. Mm-hmm. But in the old days, and where I come from, you only have one H1 tag. So it, it's a really weird thing that I still have to deal with. I'm not used to it yet. Yeah. And I'm old. Yeah, as, as you can see on my blog, I have several H1 tags. Yes. So my crawler has told me. <laughs> so... And uh, by the way, I do use that for the show notes, if you were wondering. I, I, I know you do. <laughs> so, yeah, you had asked that uh, previously. Yeah, it, it's a really nice thing, and it really helps, um, you know, putting those together. Otherwise, I, I was doing it by hand in the early days, and it was a travesty. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, uh, let's say I think it doesn't copy over quite right, you know, because I have, you know, music down here on the show notes. Uh, Those are actually links and not, like, straight URLs typed out. No. Yeah, it it wants URLs, yeah. It vomits on those quite bad. 
Yeah, it does. So, you know, what I use, because I'm sort of lazy, I just, you know, open up previous episodes if the... Uh, yeah, that's what I do. If that song had been used on there before. Yeah, that's the best way to do it, really. So... Huh. Yeah, if you, if you want to make improvements to that titler, uh, you can definitely do that, because we have a GitHub uh, repo on it. Oh. Yeah. So... Anyways, uh, speaking of uh, music uh, and sponsors, we don't have sponsors because you declined to be recognized as such. Not a sponsor. I just, that's, no. Anyway, that's old stuff. Um, let's see. I guess this really wouldn't apply to you because you hate games. But uh, Kyle Gabler, uh, he's the guy that uh, was pretty much did half of World of Goo. And, uh, well, recently- I played that. Uh, recently, he did quite a bit on uh, uh, the recently released uh, Little Inferno, and uh, he has uh, you know released the soundtracks to those online. And you know, I was listening to those, and I'm like, hmm. So I just you know out of the blue, I asked, hey, could uh, I use your music on my podcast? And he's like, yeah, sure. So that's thank great. You. Thank you, Kyle. Excellent. So, I, I put a link in there in the in the show notes for that too. Okay, and uh, let's see. I believe I also have him linked down there, so you will have heard some of his music already. Wonderful. So, and uh, see, I'm not sure if you uh, had asked any questions. Uh, for no, I podcast. unfortunately I was busy doing finals at the time, so I, I didn't get a chance to write up any questions. So yeah, uh, if you have any questions, don't forget to. Uh, you know, send me feedback, or if you want to be a guest, also send feedback. Cause uh, Ryan, sorry man, you're getting kind of old after a while, but I I know I I know I am. It is always a pleasure to have you on. Of course it is. So every few weeks, maybe, or yeah. maybe every few months, uh, or as the case may be. So yeah, Chris Chris told me that uh, he actually wanted to be on two more episodes. Uh, uh, apparently, he wanted to be on episodes that coincided with his favorite one and two digit numbers. Okay, that that works. Yeah, whatever suits him. So. Yeah, well, anything that's good. Yeah, definitely. So, yep. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's sort of like me. Uh, you know, we both went to same college and we we're same roomies. So, uh, pretty much, he needed someone to put up with his crap, and I needed someone to put up with my crap. So. Yeah. It was a mutually beneficial arrangement. Well, that's good. that's the arrangement you want. Yes. So, anyways, uh, you can find me at my blog, which I just yapped your ear off about. I enjoyed hearing about it. At theandrewbailey.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, that one website I hate. <laughs> uh, at linkedin.com slash in slash theandrewbailey. Yeah, so of course you can find me, Ryan Rampersad, just about anywhere, but especially on the Twitter, RyanMR, and also on my blog that I haven't posted to in, what, five days? Blog.RyanRampersad.com. Yeah. yeah, you always come around there like every day or twice a day, and it's like, well, you haven't posted anything. I, I've been busy. I'll get back into it soon. Yes, and I will have another post when this show gets up. Okay, that's good. Because the intro was epic. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, anyways, uh, any plans for Christmas? I, well, I uh, guess you'd pretty much be hanging around where you are. Yeah, pretty much, yep. So, yep, I, uh, let's see. 
Our since... Christmas dinner is kind of a toss-up right now. My grandmother wants ribs, and I, uh, my mom doesn't want to cook, so... Ribs? We'll see what... Yeah. Wow. I know. She wants something fancy, and it's like, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, you know, eat out at a restaurant or something. Yeah, let's see. That's a lot easier than actually making ribs. I, I think what she wants is she wants to order them from somewhere, and it's like, yeah, you can do that if you want to drive 20 miles to get them. <laughs> You know, then again, what, what rib place is open 24 hours even on Christmas Day? Well, she probably gets them a day or two before and just put them in the freezer or in the fridge. Yeah, so since my past weekend was so exciting, you know, seeing ice, you know, being on ice skates and seeing deer, uh, I'm just going to chill out for a while and then head back to my parents' place uh, on probably Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and then sounds you good. New Year's looks like I'm going to be staying here because I have to work on the 31st. Oh, that's too bad. So, yeah, I really don't want to drive all that way just for, like, a few hours. Yeah, so. I mean, that's fine. But they did... You can Skype in. They did threaten to come over here, though. Oh, that's fine, too, then. Yeah. I like how that's a threat. Uh, well... I sort of talk to it as, as, as if it is a threat, but, you know... That's just me being a drama queen... Oh, I see. Okay. So, all right. So I guess that's it then. So. Yep. Have a good one. Have a good one.